0: prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight from the gospel according to St. Luke, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Nothing to be done. That's the opening line of Samuel Beckett's famous absurdist play, Waiting for Godot. Nothing to be done. In many ways, that phrase characterizes the whole of Beckett's play. If you've read it, you know it's a story of two characters, Estragon and Vladimir, who wait endlessly and in vain for a mysterious Godot. The setting of the play is sparse and bleak. A country road, a mound, a bare tree. And the two men wait, passing time with conversations and meaningless activities, waiting for Godot. Someone to whom they've attached an expectancy of salvation, all the while acknowledging they've never actually seen Godot. They probably would not recognize him should he appear. They can't even remember how they first learned that Godot would come to meet them. They know not for whom they wait. Nevertheless, Estragon and Vladimir wait in a vague kind of expectancy, hoping for a vague salvation that's ultimately unfounded, groundless, indeed absurd. And Beckett's play is a meditation on the human comportment to a meaningless world in which suffering is undeserved and unredeemed, where nothing really changes and from which there's no escape. In such a world, no action, however courageous or compassionate, can change this essential meaninglessness. And so, over and over throughout the play, we find variations on this phrase. Nothing to be done. One of the most interesting aspects of the play, though, is the way that Beckett describes how this nothing to be done leads Estragon and Vladimir to experience time, waiting, in a fundamentally agonizing sense. The two constantly complain about time. The end of the day never seems to come. Indeed, time seems to have stopped Time lies heavy on their hands because if nothing can really be changed, then no period of time is any more significant than any other. No moment has more meaning than any other. Time is experienced as undifferentiated and stagnant. Time doesn't seem to be going anywhere, moving toward anything in particular, only the vague hope of Godot's coming. And so Estragon and Vladimir's waiting takes on a very particular shape. It's killing time. Almost all the activities and conversations in the play are ways of killing time. The characters tell stories. They make conversation about nothing. They have absurd arguments and engage in aimless activities. And often alongside all of these will appear something like the remark It'll pass the time, but nothing to be done. Both of the two acts of Waiting for Godot end with the characters uttering the line, yes, let's go, followed by the stage directions, they do not move. Nothing to be done. Only waiting, only killing time. When waiting for Godot, there's nothing to be done. Is it the same waiting for God? Because in Advent, we also wait. We await the arrival of our Savior's birth. We look forward to, anticipate, wait for his coming again. We're waiting for God, for God to act, to save, to restore. And for some of us, that's a new and somewhat difficult practice, one which Busy and industrious and ambitious people find somewhat difficult to do. We're the DIY people. Do it yourself. And rather than wait around for someone else to fix a problem, we just get on with it ourselves. We do what needs to be done. Perhaps because of how uncomfortable, disorienting, even powerless it makes us feel to wait on someone else. But in Advent, We learn that we have to wait. It's actually integral to our humanity because we have no power in ourselves to help ourselves, and so we must wait on God to act, to save, to restore. For others of us, we know waiting all too well. In fact, it seems like waiting just never ends waiting for a test result to come back, or a sickness to be cured, or a family conflict to be resolved, for the depression to go away, for escape from a toxic work environment, from sharp pain of a loss to finally subside. The endless waiting is excruciating. And Advent just becomes a intensification, a painful reminder of just how agonizing waiting can be, how exhausting it is to desperately hope for some kind of relief or resolution or salvation which never seems to come. We are the SOS people. We're at the end of our rope. We have and can do nothing to change our situation, and we're simply waiting, hoping for some intervention, for something to happen, for God to act, for God to save. But for all of us, that is the DIYers and the SOSers, Advent poses the same question, which is this. What is there to do when waiting on God? What is there to do when waiting on God? And to answer that question... We need to turn to John the Baptist because John is the paradigm of Christian waiting. He's the one who spent his whole life, who devoted his entire vocation to waiting, waiting for the Lord, the Messiah to come. But for John, waiting for God did not mean there's nothing to be done. Quite the opposite. Waiting for God, John shows, means there's everything to do. Because John knows exactly what he's waiting for, and this changes everything for him and for us. Now, John the Baptist appears in our reading from St. Luke's Gospel after having spent a significant period of time in the wilderness. Why he went into the wilderness and what exactly he was up to out there we may never know it's possible he was associated with the Essenes or some kind of Jewish ascetic group that practiced a rigorous common life of discipline and ritual piety but we do know this that John's wilderness time was a period of waiting of preparation for the beginning of his public ministry as a forerunner, announcer of the Messiah. That which, from his birth, God had set him aside to do. The wilderness in the biblical frame is a place of waiting. And by portraying John's ministry as emerging from years spent in the wilderness, wandering, Luke is doubtless invoking Israel's history of wilderness wandering, waiting between liberation from Egypt and entrance into the land of promise. For 40 years, Israel waited in the desert, in the wilderness, longing for God's restoration. And so now with John, he embodies the hopes and anticipations of his people in the wilderness of sin and suffering and alienation, oppression and helplessness. And yet... Amidst the waiting of the wilderness, John sets out to do work. He went into all the region around the Jordan, Luke tells us, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And we know that several Jewish sects in the first century practiced ritual washings of the kind that John performs. These symbolize purification from sin, repentance, restoration to God. But now John takes this ritual practice and sets out on a kind of grassroots revivalist campaign to renew his people Israel, to call them to repentance and faith in order to embrace their longed-for Messiah. John is a preacher then, of national regeneration he's a religious and social and moral reformer of israel calling his people to a renewed life of forgiveness and fidelity beginning at the baptismal waters of jordan now this is important john is not a reformed baptist he's a baptizing reformer that's a crucial distinction to have in mind just want to make that clear But his message as a baptizing reformer is clear. To wait for the Messiah to come and his coming is near means to get to work preparing the way. And the preparation, the work of preparation is is this. Repent. Be restored. Forsake your sins and rebellion. Turn away from them and receive the Messiah at his coming. John's message of repentance is urgent because he knows exactly what is coming. He knows what he's waiting for, the Messiah, and what the Messiah's coming will bring, which is redemption. Luke summarizes John's preaching with the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice who cried out in the wilderness To Israel amidst her exile in Babylon, promising the soon end of her suffering and her return to Jerusalem, her home. Get up, Isaiah says, and get ready to go home. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. So this is what John is preparing for, a homecoming. The Messiah is coming, he says, and he's taking us home. Now, Israel's first return to Jerusalem from exile and Babylon was not, it turned out, much of a homecoming at all. They returned to a city, to a temple, to a kingdom in ruins. They tried to rebuild it under the pressure of foreign surveillance and influence and control. They tried to live in it under the rule of foreign empires, and they suffered the occupation of their homeland by hostile powers. But now, John proclaims, now God is really bringing us home. The time of the wilderness is ending. Wait, with eager anticipation because the Lord is about to move, about to act. But note this, that eager anticipation, that waiting with bated breath, for John, it takes the form of action. Christian waiting, according to John, is not passive, but active, in another word for that active waiting that characterizes our Advent season, but also the whole of our lives, which are oriented toward our Lord's coming again, is this preparation. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That's the theme of John's ministry. Not just waiting, but preparation prepare the way of the Lord. Each of the Gospels sound this verse from Isaiah, but then Luke does something a bit different. He continues the quotation from the prophet Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley will be filled, every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. You notice the imagery that John is employing here? It's construction. It's transportation and infrastructure. Don't just sit there and wait passively for the Lord and his salvation to come, John says, build him a road. Fill in the valleys. Bring down the mountains. Reconfigure the landscape so that it is ready for a straight highway to be built on it, to be laid down. But also notice this. The road being built... It's not primarily a path for the Lord to come to his people that is a pathway into their present predicament in the bondage of Babylon, as if he needed a road there. Rather, the highway being built in the desert is a path back to Jerusalem. The work of preparation for Israel was to build a highway for God to lead them home, the place where God shall dwell with them, and they shall behold God in his glory. And so with John the Baptist, the prepared way of the Lord is not so much for him to get to us, it's a path for us, which he leads us on, out of our present peril and into God's future, which is salvation. What John is preparing, in other words, and what we are called to participate in, preparing for in this Advent, are hearts and minds and imaginations and communities and worlds ready to be led into God's salvation, into God's redemption, the vision of God, God's future. So there's a lot to build There's a lot to do in our hearts and in our world. And if you're waiting with John the Baptist, you better pick up a shovel and get to work preparing the way of the Lord in ourselves and in our world, filling valleys of despair, of hopelessness, of poverty, of affliction, with the good news of God's healing and liberation. Bring down mountains of pride and vanity and self-regard with humility and meekness. Straighten the paths made crooked by deception and selfishness and wickedness with the truth and righteousness given to us in Christ. Level the rough places of discord and oppression and violence with the charity and peace of God's grace. Prepare the way of the Lord. He's leading us out and into his salvation. I don't know what you're waiting for. What healing or reconciliation or salvation you long and hunger for. But I know this, that every human pain, every longing, every hope, every desperate yearning and desire ultimately finds its resolution in the salvation of God. And that salvation is coming. Surely he is coming soon. So the best thing to do while we wait is by god's grace to start building the road to start building the road there in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit amen